Thank you for listening to this message from Forward Ministries. We pray it blesses you, encourages you, and inspires grace in you today. You can visit us online at forwardministries.org. We're just going to keep it simple. Let's keep it about the gospel because that's what people need. You know, if you think you're coming to church because you need to get somewhere, you're coming for the wrong reason. You know what I mean by that? You know, because it's like kind of this air. It's like, it's like, it's a marketing tactic to keep you coming, to make you think you're not quite yet there. But one day, pretty soon, you're going to get there. So keep coming back because you just never know when it's going to happen. Kopi's a marketer. I don't think marketing's bad. We just don't need to manipulate people. Amen? Amen. (laughs) But wait, there's more. You see, when you really get spiritual, you're going to be able to do this kind of stuff. Then you're really going to be where God wants you to be. Then you're going to get there. And And I would say as a church collectively, just so you know, it's about the gospel. The more you are convinced of his love for you, the more you will walk in his influence. If you want to yield to his influence and lead people to the Lord, travel the world and preach the gospel, make more money, have a better relationship, operate in the gifts of the Spirit, you become deeply convinced of his love for you. It's all birthed out of that. I don't have this expectation as a pastor of this church. I'm, I'm starting a new series. I think I'm going to call it Why Smart People Believe Dumb Things About God. And so it's kind of a stripping it down to some basics about just what we're about, where we're going. I've heard some things in the community and, and talked to some people, and people just don't know that God is good. We're, the church... It's sometimes even in the pulpit, it's still saturated with a mixed covenant mentality. Sometimes the pulpit is saturated with this idea that you guys really aren't quite there yet. But where this church is really going, you're going to be able to do all these things, this, that, and the other. And one day we're going to get there. Like, like, like there's just like there's something wrong with you. I don't want you feeling that way. I don't want you coming in here thinking that one day we're going to be the kind of church we're supposed to be. Well, you know what? If you can stand up here and know that God loves you, that's the kind of church we're supposed to be. Because I'm telling you, out of that, then you're going to see real stuff happen that lasts, that's fruit that abides, not some phenomenon. I'm not against the stuff. I just want it birthed out of love. I want it birthed out of you knowing who you are. I want it birthed out of when you see somebody in the public, you don't think, oh, I need to give them a word. You think, oh, my gosh. You just moved with compassion for this person, and then it just bubbles out of you. We had two testimonies this morning. One of them was Jim. I'm going to give yours for you. <laughs> he drives so far, he stays for both services. How far you drive? 920 miles, something like that. Wow. It's like an hour. It's over an hour one way. Man, you're robbing me, you making it sound. <laughs> I was trying to do some of that marketing stuff. You still a long way. <laughs> I wish I could come every week. 
But so he stood up here and Lauren stood up here and the testimonies were very similar and they were moved to tears at experiencing God's love for them. I love testimonies where you get up here and it's like, I was in this, I was at Walmart and I snatched somebody up out of the wheelchair and they hadn't walked in 25 years. Praise God. Do that. I did this and I moved some money around and now I'm out of debt. Praise God. Do that. But two people stood up here and it wasn't planned. It wasn't orchestrated. The, it was the simple gospel song. God knows what he's doing. And I, it was so touching because it was very simply this. I am so moved by the love of God in this moment. I don't want you to miss out on the kind of relationship that you actually already have with God. It was Lauren and Jim, and it was just so touching, you know, and it just hit me. So often our testimonies are, they're good testimonies, but how, how often do you hear people stand up and they're in tears because they're just like, you know what, God loves me, and I just want you to know that God loves you. Like we think that's too simple or something. And I'll tell you, people don't know. So what we're about, my mission, I want to inspire you to trust God. Because when you trust God, you open your heart. And when you open your heart, you, go, you are going to receive his grace and be rooted in his love. Then you live from that. Everything that you need is supplied by you being deeply rooted and connected in his love for you. That's it, right? You just relax. Just take a deep breath. Oh, you mean I don't have to try to figure out how to get more? No, you already have it all. Just let him love on you. You know, we have this marketing phrase that we use. <laughs> God's not mad at you. You've seen that? We used to have it on the window, but we took it off when we redid everything. But we still use it on Facebook and website and stuff like that. God's not mad at you. You know, you think about that. Really? God's not mad at me. Because some people very simply just think that he is. Think that he's upset with them because of their behavior. Those are the people that we need to, that we need to reach. There are preachers that preach, God is so angry with you, he might need to take your job away from you to teach you a lesson. God is so angry with the sin in this country that he's going to send an earthquake or a tidal wave. Do we have those here? I don't know if we have those here. Hurricane. I mean, think about this. this. This is what's said, right, to describe how God operates on this planet with humankind under the new covenant is that because there is sin in this part of the world, I am going to send punishment in the form of a hurricane and kill people. You know, it's like, it's like they've never heard of Jesus or something. I'm going somewhere. I've got lots of scripture that I want to dig into. But I want to start with this idea, God is not mad at you. See, you probably know that. Y'all have been coming, you hear these messages, you've been reading the stuff, and you know the gospel. But I tell you, people out there don't know it. People out there do not believe and simply know rudimentally that God just loves them. There are preachers in this community. There are people that are doing great things in our community that when they bring them in, what they preach to them is that you've got to suffer to have more holiness. It's like, okay, there's this, do you remember that guy that drugged that cross up that hill, right? Because he did something about that. See, under the old covenant, there was a lot of wrath. 
we really don't have a clue what it was like to live under the uh, old covenant. Wrath meaning God's response of anger, not necessarily toward people, but toward ungodliness. God's wrath is always first kindled toward disobedience. Disobedience does not make God happy. It kindles his anger toward whatever the act of disobedience is or whatever the agent that's introduced into your life that is fueling the disobedience. And he was always hounding people in their hearts. Have faith in me towards your heart. Believe this stuff in your heart because it's with your, in your heart. If you connect with me, then you'll naturally live out this stuff and I won't have to deal externally with your disobedience. That's old covenant. So God still, under the new covenant, has wrath toward disobedience. I want you to get this. Still. Because people, people get this stuff mixed up. But what obedience is under the new covenant is unbelief, specifically unbelief in Jesus. Now, because the sacrificial system is done away with, and because, let's throw that Hebrews passage up there if you would, because of this passage here, um, Hebrews 10, 12. But when the priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Now you apply this to Jesus. Jesus is the sufficient sacrifice for all sin, past, present, and future. Under the old covenant, if you brought your sacrifice up, there was a temporary atonement. There was a covering of your sin. And then you either had to do it again the next time you broke the law or the, the next annual Yom Kippur sacrifice. You can pull that down. The Jews lived, the Israelites lived in a constant sin consciousness. In other words, they lived in an environment, in a covenant under God where they had to keep all the laws. They had to do it the right way. Not necessarily to be, well, not to be righteous because the law couldn't produce righteousness, but to keep their hearts in faith toward Him. That's what the law is. The law is the best way to live on this planet so that you will remain in faith toward Him. But that does not give you your righteousness. So under the old covenant, if you didn't live in agreement with the law, if you broke the laws, then you had to pay the penalty for breaking those laws. I Man, we, we just don't know what it was like to live like that. Every day you wake up and here's your thing. If you really lived within this covenant, do I sacrifice a dove or do I sacrifice a goat? Just how bad did I really mess up here? See, under the new covenant, Jesus is the once and for all sacrifice for all sin. That means that no longer is God looking at you and putting a standard upon you of what you need to do to pay for the sin because Jesus already paid for it. So to say that God is going to let you have cancer because how you treated your child or whatever you think that you did, that's what's taught. I'm telling you, this is what's taught. What's taught is God will allow a little bit of sickness. He'll allow a little bit of lack. See, here's the problem. Your sin, I think I got to take your job away from you. You know it. You've heard it, hadn't you? You've heard it taught. Your sin, I think we need to make your child sick. 
That is a fundamental misunderstanding of what Jesus actually paid for at the cross in his death, burial, and resurrection. Do you understand that? Now, while it's very basic and very simple, God's not mad at you. That sounds nice. But let's take it as deep as it possibly can go into that spiritual dimension to understand sacrifice. So the reason is because here's where we're going as a church. I want you to be extremely confident in going out into the public and having these conversations with people that God is not testing you, that God is not allowing sickness to come into your life, that that, that earthquake that hit this part of the world that has all this darkness in it is not because God is doling out wrath and punishment because of that sin, because even those people, even the darkest place on the earth that maybe deserves to be wiped off the planet, Jesus already paid for those sins. So for God to do anything in reaction at all towards sin as a punishment is violating, well, that was a good one there, what Jesus did. I mean, we have to understand that. It's, they're, they're, you know, people, I get accused sometimes, well, you know, it's not that black and white. Yeah, it is. It ain't black and white. It's red. That's it. I mean, there might be some areas, you know, that whole spirit dimension, the mystical. I, I'm not, I, don't, I don't delve in that a whole lot. If you want to go there, go there. It's fine. I, I'm, I'm rooting you in the cross. I don't have anything against that stuff. I just, you need to know, because when people come into your store, you can stand there and confidently say, well, you know what? God's not treating you that way. Actually, you can go to him and, and help, and you can help people because you know what Jesus paid for. She does it. So you got a store across the street. Y'all should go shop over there. <laughs> you, y'all need to know how to communicate this stuff because there's a world out there that needs to hear it. If you want to know where we're going as a church, that's where we're going, becoming more founded, more rooted and grounded in you knowing that God loves you, you being able to communicate this gospel, you knowing the, the, the depth of the exchange that happened within you, and then you personally responding by walking out your ministry and your faith. Please don't leave that part of it off, and we do that together. Whatever you are driven to how you express your faith, don't exclude you know, what's happening here. Don't think we don't want it here. We're just going to root it in Jesus and, and come talk and let's move together. So where we're going as a church, I don't have this expectation for you that like one day you're going to be somewhere and then we're really going to be the church we're supposed to be. No. You're there. Say, I'm there. Because I'm, I'm in Jesus. Now, those roots will just grow deeper and deeper and deeper into his spirit that dwells within you. And you just become more and more and more convinced of his love for you and more confident of what he did for you. And the way that I'm going to do that is I'm going to hammer you with these passages of what the new covenant is about. Y'all good with that? Because you need to know because other people out there don't know. Now, you know it, but but we all need to be reminded because people out there think that God's putting them in situations because of their sin and they need to suffer a little bit and then, then they can have what he really has for them. People just don't know the character of God. They don't know that, they don't understand the depth of what happened in the sacrifice. So let's look at that just a little bit more. I'll give you the good news first. You want the good news first? Romans 5, 9, and 10. Let's just put that up there because I want to talk a little bit about wrath uh, uh, more. You know, we started, but 
This is where we should look at wrath right now for the believer. Romans, what did I say, 5, 9, and 10, you got that back there? Much more than having now been justified by his blood. How are you justified? His blood. All right. We shall be saved from wrath through him. Say, I am saved from wrath through him. Okay, now to understand what that really means is that under the old covenant, if you weren't saved from wrath through him, what that meant is that under those laws, if you broke those laws, you either had to perform the right sacrifice to have the, the temporary atonement, or if you really crossed the line, you lost your life. And to the degree of, I mean, they, they would have debates. They, see, it wasn't that God just needed you to obey externally. God needed you to keep your heart pure toward him because when he said, I want you to move this way, you were able to move that way. That's why God was severe on executing penalty was to set an example of, look, I take this stuff seriously. It's not because I'm so hung up on your behavior. It's because your heart needs to be in faith toward me, so I'm going to set an example. This woman or this person was out picking up sticks on the Sabbath, working on the Sabbath, and the debate was, should we kill her now or should we kill her tomorrow? You don't live under that. That's the wrath that you are free from. The wrath that you are free from is not that God is angry at you, but that God has already given you peace in Jesus, so you don't have to, ha you don't have to be afraid of him. You don't have to wonder, how's he going to deal with me? What's, what's going to happen now? This is mostly the way it looks like in your life. Something bad goes happen, and you think, oh, gosh, what did I do? What did I do? for this to happen. And you might even mix God into that equation a little bit. What did I do to make God do this to me? What have I not done to cause God to withhold this blessing for me? It's all the same thing when you talk about where blessing comes from. So, next verse. <clears throat> For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. You don't ever have to worry about God doling out a punishment to you because Jesus is the sufficient sacrifice. And if you really want to get radical with it, it's, he's not even doling it out on unbelievers. If he did the prisons would be a lot less empty. If he did still do it that way, you, you would, it would be a totally different world. We wouldn't be in this position of you know, being able to go into the world. We'd be so caught up in, what are we supposed to do? That's how they lived. Not because God was so angry at them, but because he needed to keep their hearts pure. You have been given the promise of the new covenant. Let's go ahead and pull up that Jeremiah 31 passage because this is where we're going. This is the promise of where we are now. See, it wasn't that God changed. It was that we changed, and it was that Jesus absorbed all the wrath towards sin. So now God is not responding to sin, anybody's sin. God's not responding to any sin anywhere on the planet. He's already dealt with it in Jesus. I mean, that's good news. I can hear somebody's watching on the live stream that's freaking out right now. 
Y'all act like y'all have heard this before. <laughs> but you need to know because you need to be able to tell other people. Jeremiah 31, this is a prophecy about what it would be like under the new covenant. The days are coming. He's getting ready to tell them. You're not going to be under this system anymore where you're having to offer these sacrifices to keep the relationship right between us. Something radical is about to happen. Now the Jews, the Israelites were so anticipating based on these prophecies um, because you can see what the promises are. It's, we're going to go through 34. Jeremiah 31, 31. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. What this means, the people of Israel, you are included in that because the people of Israel were the descendants of Abraham. In Galatians 3, it tells us that all who have faith in Jesus are heirs of salvation and the children of Abraham by faith. Does that make sense to you? So when you see this talk about the people of Israel, it's not talking about the Semitic people on a specific piece of land in the Middle East. It's talking about a spiritual people, all those who have exercised faith in Jesus and have received uh, the promise. I'm not talking about replacement theology. I'm just talking about who the new covenant is for is those who believe on Christ and have received that righteousness, which was prophesied through the blood lineage of Abraham. All right, so, and with the people of Judah, verse 32, it will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand, led them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them. Man, every time I see that, there's, it's like, it says that in Isaiah 54, God describes his relationship with you as if he's your husband. I mean, you can't get more intimate than that. Jesus even goes further. Well, let's keep going here. Declares the Lord, verse 33. This is the covenant. So I'm going to give you a new covenant. This is it. I will make with the people of Israel. Uh, this is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds, write it on their hearts. I'll be their God. They'll be my people. This is very significant to them. Why? Because they had, when it talks about I will write their law. Go back to, yeah, stay there. I will write the laws on their mind and heart. They had the laws externally by the finger of God carved in stone. What he's saying is these laws here, these 630-something laws that we carry around and we roll them up in a scroll and we unroll them and we decide what kind of sacrifice you got to offer, you're not going to have these external written laws that we got to follow anymore because they're going to be written on your mind and they're going to be written on your heart. In other words, you are going to intuitively, inwardly know how to follow God. You're not going to have to externally consult some legalistic system to try to follow me. You are going to be recreated in a new nature. Let's keep going here. Verse 34. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, uh, know the Lord because they will all know me. This is talking about the indwelling spirit of God, the teacher living in you. From the least to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their sins or wickedness and will remember their sin no more. I mean, there, were, there was a radical change of how he related to them. No longer was there going to be this list of rules outside. It was going to be in you. Other place in Ezekiel, I think it's 36, it talks about a, you, you're going to get a new heart. You're going to get God's spirit placed within you. And inwardly, you will know how to follow God. You do. 
You, just, you know how to follow God better than you think that you do. If you've got the Spirit of God within you, you intuitively know how. It's, it's like your operating system, right? Any computer people in here? I got one. I know y'all are up till 3 o'clock playing Monopoly. All these other people don't have an excuse. I saw them on Facebook. <laughs> it's like your operating system has been changed. You've been emptied out and a new operating system installed, and that operating system is righteousness, peace, and joy. In other words, it is natural for you to live righteously. In any given situation, your first response as a believer is to run the program of righteousness. But what we do is we put a bunch of malware and spam and all this junk on there like fear. We throw some spam fear in there, and we want to run that program. We get the virus of worry on top of our operating system, and it runs that program, when really your core response would be righteousness. Your core response would be to trust God. You don't have to figure out how to do that stuff. You already know how to. It's when you use the intellectual part that you, that you, that you get confused. Intuitively, you do know how to follow God. You just do. So these laws are not outside anymore where you have to figure out how to follow him. So it's the good news. So one of these messages I'm going to preach on in this series of why smart people believe dumb things is whether or not you have a sin nature. I'll tell you now, you don't if you have Jesus in you. That makes a particular denomination nuts. They go nuts when you tell them you don't have a sin nature any longer. Yeah, we do. You see, we got a white dog in us and we got a black dog in us. And depending on which one you feed is going to be which one you live out of. And the white dog is righteousness and the black dog is sin nature. And you know, you still have both of those. No, you don't. Jesus killed that black dog. There is no condemnation within you. There is no desire or root of sin within you any longer. It's only the righteousness of God. But you need to know that and you need to be confident in that when you communicate that to people because people will make you doubt that. They'll say things like, well, who do you think you are? Or they'll say things like, are you telling me you never sin? Or they'll say things like, do you, are you saying it's okay to sin? No, because it's true spiritually of you. It has to be worked out into your soul and your mind and your behavior. But internally, it's true already because it was a promise of what this new covenant was going to be about. So if you look at Isaiah 54, 9 through 10, when you hear people talking about that God is relating to anyone based on their sin. And there are some very high-profile sins in this country right now. And God is, God's not even relating to that stuff like he did under the old covenant. That makes people nervous, see, because what we're talking about is spiritual matters and we're talking about the heart. We're not talking about behaviors. God is not responding to people's behaviors anymore. He's responding to faith in their hearts. So that's what we're after. So Isaiah 54, this is just to reaffirm, is right after Isaiah 53, which is a discourse on the exchange of the cross, everything that would happen at the cross. Because of the cross, to me, this is God speaking. To me, this is like, the cross is like uh, the days of Noah when I swore that the waters of Noah would never again cover the earth so now have I sworn not to be angry with you. 
Now, see, we don't, get, we don't really understand that because we didn't live under the old covenant. We didn't live under the system where you woke up every day and you wondered, were you going to suffer the wrath of God in that moment because of how you've lived the day before? We didn't live that way. They did. This meant a lot to them. Can you imagine? It's like those of you that grew up with an abusive or you know, just a tyrant of a parent, and then when you're gone or they're gone, how, the, how liberating that is. They're no longer in your house dominating and controlling. I'm not calling God a tyrant. I'm just saying that's the kind of freedom that you have. You no longer have this oversight of fear. And he really was never angry in the first place with you. It was the disobedience that was driving you away from him. So, and never rebuke you again. Now, God will convict you with his spirit, but he uses truth and the word. This is what conviction looks like. Let me pick somebody out that can. All right, Bob. Bob, you did this. You're better than that. You are actually the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You, I died for you. My life runs through your veins. My spirit is within you to give you grace and lift you up out of this sin choice that you're making. That's the conviction of God. Not, well, there you go, you idiot, you dummy, you sinner, you. No, God's not speaking like that. He speaks to the truth. Now, that, that, that will convict you in your heart to compel you to live according to how you actually have been remade to be righteous, holy, set apart, pure, perfect in his sight. When you're not living that way, an encouraging voice sounds condemning. That's why the truth can be offensive. Some of y'all get offended at the truth too easily. And I'm going to preach to the wall for a minute. Some of y'all need to quit getting mad at the truth. I'm going to let God have his moment because I can feel he's, there's a couple people. When people tell you, think, listen to me, please listen to me. There are some truths that people are trying to tell you in your life right now and you don't like it because it makes you feel bad about yourself and you disagree with it, but you need to hear it because it's not who you really are. <coughs> Stop it. Grow up. All right, let's keep going. Well, where were we? Isaiah 54, 10. Did we read 10? Though the mountains shall be shaken, and this is not necessarily physically, this is talking about a covenant change. The mountains shall be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken, nor my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord, who has compassion on you. God has compassion on you. God has compassion on everyone. Mm -hmm. There's not one person on this planet that God is looking at their sin saying, I cannot wait to punish them. If he did, he would be unjust in doing so because he already did it in Jesus. Yeah, if they don't bend their knee, I'm going to break it. Or if they don't, I don't even know the goofy stuff that's taught. I try and keep those things out of my head, but there's some nuttiness taught about who he really is. Y'all think of, think of them for, for a minute, stuff you've heard about him. You got a list? <laughs> we should co-write a blog. This is the dumb thing. This is the right thing. So... I'm not just trying to be funny. You're really, I'm not just trying to be cute. I, I, I'm deadly serious about this stuff. The world needs to know that God is only good because 
of who he's revealed himself to be in Jesus, and the world needs to know how God is seeking to relate to them. The world needs to know that God is not taking parents. You know how many atheists start down that track because they lost a parent early and some preacher told them something? I mean, most of the high-profile atheists these days, when you listen to them debate, when they're pressed on the issue, they have some type of religious horror story in their past that started to drive them down that road. You can't separate that. It's not just a coincidence. It's a catalyst. So here's where we are. We're moving forward in the gospel. I mean, we want people to know that God's good, that he's not angry with them. And the reason we back that up, that he's not angry with them, is because it said so, that that would be the earmark of the new covenant. God's wrath has been dealt with. There's not one thing in anyone's life that God is, is going to give them difficulty because they've not followed him perfectly. Now, let me just say this, because uh, people ask about wrath. Well, those that, those that unbelieve are storing up wrath until the, until the day of judgment. Yeah, there is wrath. God has always and always will be wrathful or angry toward disobedience, and what disobedience looks like under the new covenant is unbelief in Jesus. So in the end, the final wrath that God will have toward unbelief is not because he's going to punish their sin and send them to hell. He already punished all the sin in Jesus. The wrath toward unbelief is you don't get eternal life. I can't give it to you because your unbelief is driving a wedge between us. And the, what wrath looks like expressed toward unbelief is you can't enter into the, the eternal life that I have for you. Please say yes to Jesus because this is the way it is. There is a lake of fire that will separate at the end. So that's what it means to store up wrath for the future, store up wrath for the day of judgment, but it's toward unbelief. Mm -hmm. And he hates it because it's going to keep you from spending eternity with him. Man, it's like you either get eternal life or you die. You die that second death. I'm not trying to make a theological statement about hell, but people just need to know that even, even when they stand before God at the final judgment, it, they're not going to face an angry God that looks at them and says, you didn't do it right. You didn't accept my son, so I'm angry, and you can't, you know, it's, it's, not, it's not anger that they're going to experience. It's going to be heartbreak. And whatever happens... It's going to be merciful because we know that his mercy endures forever. His anger lasts but for a moment. That translates into eternity as well. I'm not trying to say that everybody's all going to get saved. I don't believe that. But maybe we should just have the thoughts in our minds that whatever it is, it's going to be merciful toward those people. Maybe it's an end. I don't know. But when you go out and you talk to people, you know, here's the thing. You go tell people about a restaurant, you don't ever wonder what that person is thinking about you when you're telling them about a restaurant that you really like. Think about that. What's your favorite restaurant? Let's say your favorite restaurant's La Hacienda. Do you even think about what they care if you're going to tell them? It's like, oh, 
I like it. I'm just going to tell you about it. Why aren't we like that about the gospel? It's because we aren't confident in who we are and his love for us, and we think we don't know enough, so we second guess, so we keep our mouths shut. I want you deeply confident that Jesus, in this one idea, Jesus is a sufficient sacrifice for all sin, and God is not relating to anyone based on their sin because Jesus already paid the sin debt for everyone, past, present, and future. Now what's left is, will you receive that gift of free righteousness and enter into that eternal life, enjoying the peace that you have with Him? Pretty simple, but it's, it's not taught much, but it's the, it's the root of the gospel. Man, it puts you in a place where you can trust God. You know that His plans, He's seeking to bring them about in your life. He's not, he's not playing chess with you. He's not upset with you. You're not disappointing Him. He's not looking at you thinking, I've got to wait because you're just not there yet. No, you're there. You're there. Say, I'm there. You're there. Just let it bear root in your heart. Father, we thank you so much for your gospel. We thank you, Jesus, for remaining obedient to the death of the cross. Thank you that you have paid our sin debt and for the entire world. We want to be agents of good news going into this world, confident in the truth that Jesus is enough, that the cross actually worked. And when we talk to people about God, we're confident in that. We're not shaken by that. Father, thank you for your spirit that teaches us wisdom, how to communicate. Your spirit that drives us to the word so that we know how to effectively communicate your scriptures, how to effectively communicate your gospel, but deeper, even deeper than that, how to just love people. We just want that love that you have for us to reflect in our love for other people. And that is what will bring the world into belief toward you. Thank you for your gospel. We are enough in you. You are enough in us. We lack nothing. We're not going to get there one day. We're there now because we're in Jesus. Now, I just want that to take over every part of my life. Is that your prayer? Amen. Praise God.